0: You're listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity titled Viewpoints on Managing DR DME Implementing the Latest Treatment Strategies is provided in partnership with the National Eye Institute of the National Institutes of Health of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, along with Prova Education. It's supported by an independent educational grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. Before starting this activity, Please be sure to review the disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Here's Dr. Diana Doe.
1: Even though diabetic retinopathy is the leading cause of blindness in adults, it's important to remember that effective treatments are available. But as the evidence and treatment landscape continue to evolve, when should patients with diabetic eye disease be referred for treatment? This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Diana Doe, calling in from Palo Alto, California. And I'm Dr. Sharon Solomon,
2: calling in from Baltimore,
1: Maryland. We know that patients can acquire cumulative damage from their diabetes inside their eyes. And we would like to know as physicians, you know, when should we start implementing treatment if we see retinopathy? Can you first describe to us, Sharon, what are the different stages of diabetic retinopathy and what type of severity they indicate?
2: Absolutely, Diana. I'm happy to. So as we know, there are two major stages of diabetic retinopathy. There's non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy, which means that no abnormal or aberrant blood vessels are growing on the surface of the retina. And then there's the more severe category, which is called proliferative diabetic retinopathy. And that's when you begin to have aberrant or irregular blood vessels called neovascular vessels growing on the surface of the retina. Going back to the milder category, the non-proliferative stage is broken into mild, moderate, and severe. And again, typically if a patient has mild, non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy, he should see his general ophthalmologist or retina specialist typically once a year, perhaps every nine to 12 months. However, as someone has a step up in his retinopathy, say to the moderate non-proliferative stage, typically patients should begin to be followed by a retina specialist and should be seen perhaps anywhere from six to eight month intervals, again for a dilated fundoscopic examination. If someone has proliferative changes, which are the most severe changes, and we're talking about changes in the whole peripheral retina, not just the macula, those patients are typically followed every three to four months. And of course, if someone develops the leading cause of vision loss in patients with diabetes, which is diabetic macular edema, and that can be categorized into center-involved diabetic macular edema, which is what really causes uh, acute reading loss or vision loss centrally and non-center involved diabetic macular edema, patients in that category are followed anywhere from every one to two months depending on the severity of the disease and how it affects vision.
1: And Sharon, you mentioned that patients can be seen by the general ophthalmologist or by the retina specialist. When should patients with non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy be referred
2: to the retina specialist for consideration of anti-VEGF therapy? So Diana, that's an important question to to touch on the guidelines. I would say in general, if someone clearly has more than than mild non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy, meaning that when you look into the retina, you can see microaneurysms in three or four quadrants. That person certainly, I think, should be followed by a retina specialist.
1: And let's refocus again on those patients who have now progressed to the proliferative diabetic retinopathy stage that you explained to us. Should these patients um, always be seen by the retina specialists and should they be receiving treatment with these eye injections that inhibit
2: VEGF? So that's something that retina specialists are trying to decide right now amongst ourselves. So you're familiar with Protocol S from the Diabetic Retinopathy Clinical Research Network. And in that clinical trial, uh, patients who have proliferative diabetic retinopathy either underwent panretinal laser photocoagulation or treatment with intravitreal antivascular endothelial growth factor agents to manage the proliferative changes. And we have five-year outcome data that show that treatment specifically with ranibizumab, which was the intravitreal anti-VEGF agent used in that clinical trial, showed non-inferiority in terms of management of the proliferative diabetic retinopathy changes. And a happy bonus was that patients who were prone to developing diabetic macular edema actually had less incidence and recurrence of their diabetic macular edema When they were at the proliferative diabetic retinopathy stage in patients who received ranibizumab compared to patients who received the gold standard panretinal laser photocoagulation therapy.
1: That was indeed a very important clinical trial. You mentioned diabetic macular edema and how that can affect a patient's central vision. How often should patients with diabetic macular edema be followed and does this disease get better or resolve with these eye injections that inhibit VEGF?
2: So patients with diabetic macular edema, typically once they've crossed the threshold and developed that, that uh, sequela of having diabetes, typically they'll come in at monthly intervals and they may receive intravitreal anti-VEGF therapy. Again, there, there are different regimens to follow. So if we look at the protocol T data, from the Diabetic Retinopathy Clinical Research Network. If patients have uh, visual acuity that's better than 20 over 50, they'll be starting intravitreal anti-VEGF therapy for their center-involved diabetic macular edema with any one of the three available anti-VEGF agents, uh, Bevacizumab, Ranibizumab, or aflibercept. When we look at patients who meet the criteria from the very recent protocol V, In patients who have diabetic macular edema and better acuity there we found that patients who had vision of 20 over 25 or better but had some level of diabetic macular edema actually did just as well as patients who received treatment with anti-vegf or just had observation so it depends on the patient and it depends on the patient's visual acuity
0: i agree
1: we really want to monitor these patients who have diabetic macular edema very closely Let's look at a brief case presentation discussion of an individual that I saw in my clinic. This is a 38-year-old woman with a history of type 1 diabetes who came in with occasional blurry vision. Her visual acuity on examination was 20-25 and I performed an exam which showed mild non-proliferative disease. And I also obtained an imaging study called OCT, Optical Coherence Tomography. On that scan, we can appreciate there's very mild center-involved diabetic macular edema.
2: What would you recommend for this individual, Sharon? So if the vision, as you're suggesting, is only mildly affected, and she's 20 over 25 or 20 over 20, and she's somebody who's prone to having good follow-up You've spoken to her about her hemoglobin A1C control. We, ha- we don't want to forget that we're talking about a disease that affects the eye, but the underlying cause is a systemic disease that the patient needs to manage with diet and exercise and proper medication. So if she's somebody who has good uh, systemic control of her diabetes, she's prone to having good follow-up and not someone who you're concerned might disappear and not present for care in, in six months or eight months or a year, I think I'd be inclined to follow her at this point. And if you saw progression in the OCT center subfield thickness, the the severity of her center-involved diabetic macular edema, or else a decline in her vision, then I might pull the trigger and consider initiating treatment with intravitreal anti-VEGF therapy.
1: I agree with you completely, and that's what I did. I'm still following up her um, and monitoring that mild amount of diabetic macular edema. Let's move to the second case. This is a gentleman who came in complaining of two months of decreased vision, and the visual acuity actually dropped to 2060 in the affected left eye. On examination, he had moderate, non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy, and on the OCT scan, there is significant diabetic macular edema. How would you manage this patient?
2: So unlike the first patient you described, Diana, this patient sounds like he's begun to meet the threshold for treatment, for initiation with anti-VEGF therapy, both on the OCT central subfield thickness criteria, as well as the level of visual acuity. So I think I would certainly start with an intravitreal anti-VEGF agent as the first line of therapy. And if we were to go based on the results of protocol T from the diabetic retinopathy clinical research network, I'd be inclined to start with treatment with Aflibercept since you said the vision was worse than 20 over 50. In the protocol T clinical trial, there was a slight advantage in patients receiving intravitreal Aflibercept if vision was worse than 20 over 50.
1: That is a perfect recommendation, and that's exactly what I did. Often when I tell patients about these treatments, they're very concerned about How often and how long will they need treatments? Is this a lifelong therapy that they will need? What do you
2: tell your patients? I think you bring up a critical point, Diana. I often tell patients, again, because they have a eye disease that is driven by an underlying systemic disorder, diabetes mellitus, that they're in this for the long haul. The patient has to understand, again, that he is... Involved in the management of his diabetes mellitus by maintaining a good hemoglobin A1C level from diet, exercise, and taking his medications. Um, And I make it clear to the patient that, that, especially with diabetic macular edema, this tends to be a chronic disorder. Diabetic retinopathy in general tends to be a chronic disorder. We can get the edema, oftentimes, and surprisingly, even the retinopathy into a status of remission. But unless therapy is continued or unless the underlying disease is kept at bay, it's possible and often likely that the patient will come out of remission and need further treatment. So patients really need to understand that they're going to have to be committed to coming in frequently for observation and for management.
1: You're absolutely correct. And recently there's been many clinical trials conducted looking at eyes who have this severe non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy and testing whether or not intravitreal VEGF inhibitors can help improve their level of retinopathy and decrease the risk for vision-threatening complications. Has, has this
2: new data changed your practice patterns of treating these patients? Absolutely, Diana. If you look at one of the cases that we have here today, a 67-year-old gentleman with type 2 diabetes, as you can see from the case, he has 20 over 25 vision in the right eye where there's less center-involved diabetic macular edema, and vision was lower at 20 over 80 in the eye that had more uh, edema in, in the center of the fovea. He actually had moderate to severe nonproliferative diabetic retinopathy in each eye, And because of the diabetic macular edema, I did opt to start anti-VEGF therapy early in both eyes. One could argue that the better seeing eye, the 20 over 25 eye, according to the new protocol V data, maybe we could have watched that eye because the vision was so good. But it was actually the level of background retinopathy and our knowledge from other clinical trials that we'd actually see regression in the staging and the steps of that retinopathy level that made me decide to treat the diabetic macular edema and the background retinopathy with intravitreal anti-VEGF therapy. I agree with you. I actually am
1: starting to treat many of my patients who have severe non-proliferative diabetic retinopathy with VEGF inhibitors because there's level one evidence now to suggest that these VEGF inhibitors are very effective in reducing the retinopathy severity levels. Absolutely, and that's something that we thought we'd never see. You've given us so much useful information today. If you had the top five practice pearls that we should think about as we are managing patients with diabetic eye disease, what would those key points be?
2: Well, I think that it's often overwhelming for patients to think that, gee, I have to plan to come in every month. I may have to get an injection in my eye. Some patients are getting bilateral treatment. They have to get both eyes treated every month. So I think the first thing is patients have to have a sense that I do have some, some control over the situation. So again, I think it's important for patients to understand if I follow my diet, if I exercise, if I take my medication, I'm under the care of my internist or my endocrinologist, that I may have a chance of making my diabetic retinopathy at least not progress as quickly or stabilize over time, and that this is not necessarily a diagnosis that will result in blindness. So I think it's important for the patient to have a sense of control over his condition. The second thing that's important is for the patient to understand that with that control, comes the responsibility of having adequate follow-up. And that being said, I reassure patients that at no time uh, in the past do we have such a armamentarium of therapies available to us that can maintain and actually improve vision. So even when patients come in and they're already suffering from vision loss, I let them know that we we have an intervention where we can likely regain vision and maintain those gains in acuity. So it's a chronic condition, it's not something that's gonna go away until we find a cure for diabetes mellitus, but the prognosis is good with proper uh, follow-up and proper management. Wonderful, I
1: think those are absolutely perfect pearls to end this discussion today. I really wanna thank you, Sharon, for all of your medical expertise. Diana, it was my
2: pledge to participate. Thank you for having me.
0: This activity was provided in partnership with the National Eye Institute of the National Institutes of Health of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and Prova Education. To receive your free CME credit, be sure to complete the post-test and evaluation at reachmd.com slash eyehealthacademy. This is CME on ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.